the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. How do we define success? Does God define it the same way? Today in our study in the book of Judges, we ask that question while looking at the tribe of Dan's clear disobedience. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 18, verse 8. Once again, that's Judges chapter 18, verse 8. And so they came, verse 8, unto their brethren back to Zorah and Eshtel. And their brethren said unto them, What say you? What do you find? And they responded, Arise, that we may go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. That is an interesting term to use. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said to him, Good master! And Jesus, of course, ignored him at first and said, Why do you call me good? Only God's good. Have you noticed something in me that's godlike? Have you noticed something in me that's godly? Is that why you call me good? Or are you just using the phrase? Only God is good. Therefore, all goodness must in some way be associated with him. So how could they call this land that wasn't in God's will good? It wasn't really good. And the people of Dan know this because they're hesitant to act despite the good report. The spies say to them, and are you still? There's a colon there where there's no response. And are you still means, do you have nothing to say? No one wants to speak up about this? It's interesting and. James chapter 1, it tells us the progression of how we end up in sin. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says to us, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. God tests us, but he doesn't ever tempt us with evil. If you're tempted, verse 14, if I'm tempted... It's because every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And then sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Don't let that happen to you, my beloved brethren. Don't do not err. Don't go down that path, is what James says. So here this is a situation where these people, they're only, as we'll see by the end of the chapter, they're only two generations removed from Joshua. So they had a knowledge of the land that God had given them to this. This wasn't just people drew straws and this was our land. They knew that God had appointed this land to them. 
And so when they hear this, it's like that moment. It's like if you're married and that person at work is flirting with you and you're thinking, oh, that, that feels special, feels nice, but I can't do that. But then the moment of truth comes and the person comes out and just says it. I have feelings for you. I'm married. I know. Now what? Now what do I do? That's the moment where they're at right here. They know it's wrong. But they're not saying no, and they're not saying yes. And what happens in a situation like that when you're not saying no, but you're not saying yes because you know it's wrong, but you're not saying no because current situation stinks? What happens is you begin to start weighing things out. Their current situation, very difficult. Didn't see any way God's plan could work out. I mean, we know God told us to do this, but I can't see any way that works. Now, the other plan looks way better. I mean, we can whoop these people. We can have a land to ourselves. Nobody around us will bother us. But that's outside God's will. So they're weighing it out. And when you and I start weighing things out, instead of saying, but I must obey God, it's only a matter of time before you lose the battle. Because when someone finally does speak up, it's the bad kind of counsel. It's the wrong kind of counsel. Look at the end of verse 9. Be not slothful to go and to enter to possess the land. For when you go, you shall come into a people secure and to a large land. And when that still wasn't enough, another pause, they said, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. I would say that's a slight exaggeration. And yet, they're trying to get people to act. Be not slothful to go. Don't hesitate. Don't delay. Look, everyone, this is a no-brainer. And to top it all off, we met a priest who told us it was okay. So God is on our side, and he will give us success. Now, we know that everyone didn't go. Because the family line that eventually gives birth to Samson is still in the land that God gave to Dan. And there's still other fellow Danites who are there. So we know that some said no. Some said, no, we can't do this. But many listened to the bad counsel. Verse 11. And there went from there of the family of the Danites out of Zorah and out of Eshtel, 600 men appointed with weapons of war, heavily armed, ready for a fight. Now, we know it's not just 600 men. It's all their families. It's all their cattle. It's everything. This is a do or die mission. Either they go up and win or it's over. And so verse 12, they went up and they pitched in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. And it says that they called that place that they camped Mahana Dan, which means Dan's army. And whoever wrote the book of Judges, it's called to this day, it was still called that place because of this huge army that was camped there. Behold, it is behind or to the west of Kirjath-Jerim where they camped. And they passed from there unto Mount Ephraim and they came unto the house of Micah. Dun, dun, dun. Drama is about to ensue. Verse 14. So as they come unto the house of Micah, they're passing through his village or whatever. Verse 14. Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish. They said unto their brethren, do you realize that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image? Now, therefore, consider what you have to do. The scouts tell them about the shrine. The word there or phrase, 
now consider what you have to do literally is you know what you must do. We're heading into battle. We need every advantage we can get. Even if it means robbing someone's idols, we need that extra help. You know what you have to do. And so the scouts head to Micah's house to steal his stuff. And they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah. And they saluted him. Hey, buddy, good to see you again. And the 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, they stood by the entering into the gate. So they asked him how he was, just the five scouts. But the whole army is hanging out close by, by the entrance to the village. And again, this could not have been a big village since the Levite greets them at the entrance. They're cordial at first, but then the priest is detained with the army while these five scouts plunder the shrine. Verse 17. And the five men that went to spy out the land went up and came in thither, and they took the graven image and the ephod, the teraphim, the molten image. And the priest, he's just hanging out with the army in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these, the spies, they went into Micah's house, and they fetched the carved image, the ephod, the teraphim, and the molten, the metal image. And so when the priest figures out what's finally going on, he says, what are you doing? When it becomes clear what's going on, the Levite protests. But the scouts make him a proposal, verse 19. And they said unto him, hold your peace, which means be quiet, don't do anything stupid. Lay your hand upon your mouth and go with us. Don't tell anybody. Don't do anything dumb here. There's an opportunity for you right now. Go with us. Be to us a father and a priest. You know, isn't that interesting? That's the same language Micah used. Micah came to him and said, be my spiritual caregiver. Be the one who ministers to us. Be the one who blesses my family. Well, now they offer him the same thing. Be our spiritual caregiver. And then they sweeten the pot. Is it better for you to be a priest of the house of one man or that you be a priest unto an entire tribe, a whole family in Israel? Be a mediator between us and God. You can be so much more, Mr. Levite. Think about it, man. You're a Levite. You don't belong here. Come with us and you'll be the spiritual leader of an entire tribe. Now, this proposal is so very wrong, but it's not limited to the time of the judges. You remember the man, Simon, the sorcerer who offered money to Peter for the ability to give people the Holy Spirit. There's nothing isolated here. When we study the history of the church during the dark ages, we see that church offices, the bishops, the position of senior pastor and the most prevalent churches, these positions were given to those who offered the most money. Today, I have heard of churches, and I know the one that did it here in Orlando, who they do exploratory services is what they call them. We're going to come down here and we're going to do services for a month and see how many people come to gauge interest before they decide to plant a church. Whatever happened to just hearing God's voice and doing what he said. But you know, it's easy to point the finger at those egregious things. Let's make it a bit more personal. How about when a Christian starts dating before their divorce has gone through? Or when Christians try to hook up a friend because their friend's marriage seems hopeless? Or when sin is justified because, well, God knows my heart. 
then it hits a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? I have heard some of the most abominable proposals, counsel, come from the mouth of those who claim to love Jesus. How could this priest entertain this proposal when the people suggesting it are in the midst of an act of robbery? How on earth could he think that was the Lord? Well, to be honest, the same way any of us go down an attractive path that God forbids, we ignore scripture and we let our own heart guide us. Verse 20, and the priest's heart was glad. And so he took the ephod, the teraphim, and the graven image, and he went in the midst of the people. So they turned and they departed from Micah's village. And they put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage in the front. So frolicking down the road. The Levites' protests turn into a celebration because he'll end up getting a cut of the stolen goods. That sounds like a great idea. That must be God. And here we see that it wasn't just 600 soldiers. Their families are with them. And so as the scene ends here and they leave Micah's village, we cue the beautiful music with rejoicing and hugging and happy families and frolicking children heading off into the sunset for the new frontier. We've got our own priest now. Isn't God good? And they all lived happily ever after, right? If you're creeped out by this touching ending, good. But again, as I thought about those things, I was convicted. Because I can read this and point the finger and say how awful, how creepy. But I have to ask myself a question. What do I view as beautiful that God calls evil? What do we view in our current church culture as a beautiful picture that God calls evil? In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, Isaiah prophesying to the people said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Because God alone is good, we can never call something that he says is not good, good. You know, one of the ways that we translate good in the Old Testament is the word beautiful. Like it talks about David, how he was a goodly lad. It means he was a handsome boy. He was an attractive young man. So when we call something beautiful that God calls evil, we're calling something good when he has no part in it. So let's not call something beautiful that God calls evil just because it seems beautiful in our eyes. Now, of course, the obvious question is, where is Micah when all this is going on? Where is he? doesn't tell us. But it does tell us what happens when he comes home, verse 22. And when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the tribe of Dan, with all their kids frolicking into the sunset, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together. The phrase were gathered together means they were called to help. So Micah, when he got home, found out what happened. He summoned the neighbors to come and help him get his stuff back. 
and they overtook the children of Dan. They eventually caught up to the children of Dan. Now, it doesn't tell us again who called them to help, but it's implied that Michael's the one that does this because he's leading the group. Verse 23. And they cried unto the children of Dan, what are you doing? And the tribe of Dan turns to them and feigns innocence. They said unto Micah, what ails you that you come with us with such a company? The phrase of what ails you, what's wrong with you? Why are you chasing us down with your little village army? Only the priest was present to witness the theft. But Micah was not going to let them off the hook that easy. Verse 24. Micah said unto them, you have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you are gone away. And what have I more? What is it that you say to me? What ails you? First off, I would like to point out, it's always a sad thing when your gods can be stolen from you. That's only possible when your gods are your creation. No one can take Jesus from me. No one can. It's why the gates of hell never prevail against the church. It's why the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the church. You can never snuff out something by burning scriptures or forbidding scriptures or forbidding from meeting or whatever, making it against the law to be a Christian. You can never kill it because he's in here. Because we didn't make him. He made us. Micah says, you took my gods. You took my priest. And what have I more? Literally, it means I have nothing left. Micah reveals the wickedness of his heart in all of these statements. You have nothing left, Micah? You have a family. You have a home. You have a God who still loves you. But see, none of that mattered to him, did it? He had been striving for prosperity his entire life, despite the riches he already had. And that led him to steal from his mother, to worship idols, to ignore God's commands, and then push aside his son when someone more qualified came over. I do find it ironic that the man who stole from his mother protests theft against himself. That the man who had zero loyalty to his son decries the priest's disloyalty. And I do believe that if Micah had been stronger, he would have threatened just like the Danites now threaten him in verse 25. And the children of Dan said unto him, let not your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Angry fellows, it means men who are desperate, men on the verge of perishing. people say the scriptures aren't appropriate. They're not relevant. They said, don't say anything else. Because if you continue to talk, we are desperate men, Micah. The word run upon means we will strike you. We will strike you and you will lose your life. We'll kill your entire family. So back down, buddy. The Danites were desperate. They had been pushed to the brink by the Philistines and no one was going to stop them from securing their best life now, especially not this punk. And that's the problem with everyone having their own truth. No one, I cannot say this enough, when everyone has their own truth, no one has the moral ground. No one. 
If truth comes from in here, then no one has the moral ground. For who is to stop you from living out your truth if it infringes upon my truth? The answer is no one. No one. Because there is no external moral ground. Disputes will always be settled by those with more power, more influence, more will, or more opportunity. Now, as we say goodbye to Micah, for it mentions here that when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. As we say goodbye to Micah, we must bring up that his life is a sad illustration of sowing and reaping. All of Micah's sin, all of Micah's compromise came back upon him, just like God promises in his word. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Micah didn't have these verses, but the principle already existed in the law of Moses. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, 7. For he, verse 8, that sows to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. It will never last. It will rot eventually. But he that sows to the Spirit, spiritual things, eternal things, godly things, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's the good news of this promise. I mean, we hear about that, sow to the flesh and reap corruption. That's true. That's the bad news of this promise. But there's good news in this promise, that if we sow spiritual things, righteous things, then we reap eternal things, good things. Let's be those who plant spiritual things. Amen? Well, verse 27, eventually Dan makes their way to Laish and they took the things that Micah had made and the priest which he had and they came unto Laish unto a people that were quiet and secure. And the tribe of Dan smote them with the edge of the sword and they burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverer, no one who could rescue the people of Laish because it was far from Zidon and they had no business, no mutual defense pact with any man. And it was in the valley that lies by Beth Rehob. And so the tribe of Dan built a city and they dwelt there. And they called the name of the city, they weren't very creative, Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, who was born unto Israel. Howbeit, the name of the city was Laish at the first. Now, that's where we're to get the phrase in the Old Testament from Dan to Beersheba. Dan was the northernmost city that was ever occupied by Israel. And then Beersheba, of course, was the southernmost, way down in the desert. So Dan now has a city all to themselves. They call it after the name of their tribe. And this part of Dan that left settles down there. Success, right? I mean, that's, that's how the world would view it. Success. But it depends on how you define success. If success is gaining your best life now at the expense of your relationship with God, well, then it was a success. But we know the scripture doesn't define success that way, right? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle writing about his own life. He was in jail at the moment. Writing about his own life. And he compares how he'd been critiqued by those who were false teachers. Those who were of the circumcision. The legalists. 
And he explains something. He goes, if we want to compare success, if they want to say that they've been more successful, I'm in jail, you should listen to them, don't listen to me. Well, let's compare success in the way that they compare success. For he says in verse 4 of Philippians 3, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks that he has whereof he may trust in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And concerning God's law, I'm a Pharisee, man. I'm more dedicated to God's law than anybody else out there. Concerning zeal, man, I persecuted the church. And touching the righteousness which was in the law, no one could have accused me of anything. I was blameless. I was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the most respected people in the Jewish community. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's success. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. What success? That I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.